0: If you have your Bibles, D, uh, uh, sorry, Genesis 49 and 50 is where we're going to be at, 49 and 50. Today we're wrapping up the series, and I do want to make a, a little bit of a plug. Uh, the next two weeks, Pastor Chris is going to be preaching. I'll, I'll be here the uh, next week. I won't be here. I'll be out in Wyoming, um, probably not hunting much. Uh, my uncle asked me what I was planning on doing. Now, I've, for those of you who are here on Wednesday night, I've got this little peg leg looking crutch I've decided to be a pirate for Halloween, Um, so uh, I have a crutch that I can walk on, so like I can get around my yard and my house a little bit and things like that. So I told my uncle, I said, hey, uh, I'll wear the crutch, and I'll probably walk over to a group of rocks and uh, not see anything, because it's not like hunting in Missouri. For all of you who grew up hunting in Missouri, you go sit in a tree stand, and then something eventually walks by and you shoot it. That's not the way it works in Wyoming. In Wyoming, you have to actually hunt. I usually average between 60 and 70 miles in a week of hiking to go find the deer and, and, and shoot one. And um, so anyways, I do ask you that you pray that God will send one my way. Because um, <laughs> I know I'm not going to be able to, to, to do any major hiking and things like that. So uh, anyways, uh, and then Pastor Chris is gone today. He went down to Texas to move Maggie back. Uh, Maggie's taken a position uh, at one of the hospitals here, and so uh, pray for safety for him and Chris, and, or I mean, him and Corey and, and everybody who went to move uh, Maggie back. So, anyways, Genesis 49. Uh, today's sermon title is this idea of going from fruitlessness. Uh, or uh, from fruitfulness and forgiveness. We're going to focus on being fruitful in the midst of detours, and we're going to focus on forgiveness uh, as we go through detours. One of the things that we can learn in the midst of this story of Joseph is that, listen, no matter what detour God takes you on, when you are obedient to what God has called you to do, when you're faithful in the midst of those things, that you can be fruitful in every circumstance. A lot of times we look at detours and go, I can't be fruitful in this detour because I didn't expect it. And one of the things that we can see through the life of Joseph is this, that when I'm faithful in the midst of the detour, I can still be fruitful. All right? And we're going to unpack that a little bit. I don't want to read the entire uh, chapter of of chapter 49 and 50. We're going to focus on some key parts. matter of fact, I was telling our belief class this morning um, that literally, I could probably spend three or four weeks just in these two chapters, you may be like... Why? What, like, what would you cover? If we were to break this down, there is a lot that goes on in Genesis 49 and Genesis chapter 50, um, especially with the future of what's going to happen with the nation of Israel. So, um, you know, as, as we've jumped into this series, as we wrap up this series, we said that detours are inconvenient, right? Um, a lot of us hate detours. We don't like walking through detours. As a matter of fact, as I've learned in life, I think life is full of detours, Matter of fact, what I would venture to say is this, most of us think we have a plan and we don't consider the detours that God's going to take us on because God says, listen, my plan involves detours, right? So it I, brought to mind Proverbs chapter 16, it says, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps, right? Or establishes his steps. All of us could sit back and look at our life and probably answer that statement, right? Right? Of, yeah, I I understand. The life is full of detours. Life is full of chaos. Life is full of those things that we don't expect, but yet God does some great things in the midst of those detours. So keep this in mind as we go through this, that we can be fruitful in our detour, we can be faithful in our detour, and we need to offer forgiveness in the midst of all of our detours. Um, we covered, I, I, I'm going to cover just a couple of things real quick that, that I want to highlight what we covered. Number one, we said that God uses detours to prepare and mature us for future work, for our future work. Number two, we said that, that serving God in our detours leads us into opportunities of influence and blessing. And I hope and pray that as you've gone through detours in life, you could see where God has given you some influence with, with new coworkers or with family or friends as a result of the detours you're going through. And as a result, you have received some blessing in that, and you could be a blessing. We said that God elevates leaders in his own time in order to be a blessing in both the good times and the bad. And that's exactly what we saw with Joseph, right? That God elevated Joseph at a point in time to lead them through the good times and to prepare them for the bad. And I believe that that's what he oftentimes wants to do. You know, you may look at a detour in life. You may say, God, I don't get what's going on, but maybe God led you on a detour. Think about it this way. Maybe God led you on a detour in order to be a blessing to somebody who's on a detour currently. Somebody who looks at their detour and says, man, I don't want to be walking through this. I hate this. I hate every version of it. Matter of fact, maybe they're at the point where they would say, hey, I'm going to take a detour and I'm going to end it. And maybe God brought you into their life to say, hey, listen, don't end it. You're loved. You're cared for. God loves you. God cares for you. God sent his son for you. And listen, my detours have led me to realize that I can be faithful in the midst of those detours because God wants me to be fruitful in the end. So I want to give you a, a, a context of what's going on. We, we looked a little bit last week about how uh, Joseph had brought all his family back to Egypt, and, and now we've gotten to this point, Genesis chapter 49, where Jacob is about to pass away, and he's going to bless or, to a certain extent, curse his sons in Genesis chapter 49. And you may say, well, why would he curse them? Really what we see in Genesis chapter 49 is, is Jacob's prophecy over his sons, which would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Matter of fact, two of the tribes are, are Joseph's sons. If you remember anything about Ephraim and Manasseh, we see that, that those are two of the tribes. But what you see in Genesis chapter 49 is a reality of, of Jacob's life coming to an end. And so it's, it's at the end of Jacob's life, Genesis 49 records the blessing that Jacob gives upon his 12 sons. And then in verse 28, he declare, it declares that Jacob blessed his sons, blessing each with a blessing that is suitable for them. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can flip to uh, Genesis 49. I wanna start real quick in ver- 49 verse one, and then we're gonna jump in and read verses 22 through 26. In verse one, it says this, then Jacob called his sons, and said, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but what we begin to see is the building of the nation of Israel from right here. Jacob's life started with prophecy, and Jacob's life is going to end with prophecy. He, he shares or in, he inspires this prophecy about the destiny of each of his sons. Each saying has to do with the coming days for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, if you know anything about the 12 tribes of Israel, as we, as we if you were to jump into the Old Testament history, you know at some point that the northern tribes all ceased to exist, and that leaves the southern tribe, which is basically Judah and Dan, and they basically formed Judah. And so as you read Genesis chapter 49, you're going to see this prophecy of Jacob laying out before his sons to the point where what you end up finding out is basically the only ones at the end who are going to matter is Judah and Joseph. Judah is where the line of David comes from, also where we receive the line of Jesus, where Jesus' bloodline comes through. So there are some beautiful things that take place here that we can begin to see. But I want to look and focus basically on Joseph's. If you were to look through 49, you would notice that Reuben uh, is not going to receive a blessing, but rather gets a curse. Simeon and Levi, they kind of get a curse because basically Jacob says, hey, listen, you guys went in and I get what you were doing. You were protecting your sister, but you guys are violent and there's going to be nothing good that basically comes out of what you do and and so they he it says cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel i will scatter them in jacob and disperse them in israel so what we begin to see is how the nation of israel is going to play out now keep this in mind joseph is on a detour joseph's family is now on a detour and that detour is going to eventually lead to basically the slavery of the Egyptians and then the deliverance, or or, sorry, the slavery of the Israelites to the Egyptians and then the deliverance of the Israelites into the promised land, which leads to a detour. Why? Because they're going to spend 40 years because they didn't follow what God had done. And so there's importance that takes part in this text right here for us to see. If you have your Bibles, Genesis 49, starting in verse 22, and it says this, Joseph... "'Is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring, "'whose branches climb over a wall. "'With bitterness, archers attacked him. "'They shot at him with hostility, "'but his bow remained steady, "'and his strong arm stayed limber. "'Because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, "'because of the shepherd,' The rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, and blessings of the breast and womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. It's important for us to play this out and understand what has taken place. Like a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how Joseph is like this, this picture of, of the Savior Jesus. And at the same time, what we see is how God works in the midst of Joseph's life. See, Jacob's life began as a prophecy and it's ending as a prophecy. As we read the rest of chapter 49 and into chapter 50, you begin to see that, that, that Jacob is around with his sons. He lays out this prophecy. He climbs into bed. He pulls his feet into bed and he dies. And then he, there's the story where he told his boys where he wanted to be buried. And as we get into this, we begin to see that there is fruitfulness and forgiveness in the midst of all that's going on. Fruitfulness through Joseph, right? Forgiveness that's extended as a result of Joseph and what goes on. And we begin to see how this plays out in a bigger story. See, the sons of Jacob were judged and or blessed by their father. Whatever they had done years before, some of them 40, 50, 60 years before, it comes to light on Jacob's deathbed. And I want to keep in mind that every Christian will stand before the judgment of God. Not judgment for our sins. That's done, period, at the cross, right? Jesus' death on the cross washes away our sin. It makes us white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, our sins are forgiven. But I want us to understand that we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ at the end. a matter of fact, I want to kind of maybe give a, a little bit of a plug. We've been planning our future sermon series. And to let you know, Pastor Chris is going to preach the next two weeks. And then after that, we're going to start a new series called The Signs of the End. Now, for those of you who don't realize, yesterday was key. There are some major things going on in our world right now that are fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And I in no way, shape, or form intend to sit here and say, there is a date and time when the world will end. But I want you to know that there are a number of things going on, number one with Russia, number two with Iran, number three with, the, the, with China and North Korea, as well as now what's going on in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas, as well as this morning where Hezbollah has, has offered to throw their support behind Hamas, um, that there are some key things going on in Scripture that we're going to try and unpack and try and understand in a very simple way. I believe it's our job to be aware of what's going on and prepared for what can happen in the future, all right? So aware and prepared. So I want to make that plug that we're going to start that in, in November uh, and, and jump right into that. So anyways, here's the big idea today. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that God's purpose is fulfilled when His people faithfully follow. God's purpose is fulfilled when His people faithfully follow. Now, you may say, well, that kind of sounds like this whole thing has been going that direction. It's exactly what I'm trying to get you to understand or, or what God's trying to get us to see throughout this whole text of Joshua or Joseph. Joseph. This whole text with Joseph's story is simply that, that when you follow me, that my purpose will be fulfilled. You just got to faithfully follow. So in every detour, it is my job as an individual, as, as my own person, that when I face a detour, I faithfully follow God through the detour. Like, listen... I know all of you, everybody carries different things. Everyone has different struggles. Everyone has gone through different stories. Your detours look differently. Some are similar, some are different. But listen, the role of a believer, the role of a follower of Christ is to faithfully follow God, even in the midst of the detours. Why? Because when I faithfully follow God, it leads to fruitfulness in my life. And that is exactly what we see all throughout the story with Joseph. Joseph walked through the lowest of dungeons, faithfully following God, and at one point was led to the powerful position of second highest, only below Pharaoh. And as a result, he blesses the people, right? By saving money that in the midst of their worst times, he's gonna provide for them. So I want us to see three things today three things from this text. We're going to be in, in 49, that, that section that of, about Josh or Joseph. Sorry, I'm getting confused right now. The section about Joseph, all right? And then we're going to jump into chapter 50 and unpack just a little bit more. But I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know all of us struggle with the detours, but we have to walk through them in a faithfulness that says, listen, I'm going to walk with God no matter what. So here's number one. Faithfulness to God leads to fruitfulness in my life. Look at, look at 49, verse 22. He says, Joseph is a what? Fruitful vine. Joseph is a fruitful vine. And he says it again, Joseph is a fruitful vine near a spring. Now, if you were to play this out, any Old Testament person would know this. Any Jewish person would know this. If you look at Psalm chapter one, it talks about being a tree planted beside a spring and what ends up happening. That when we're planted by the water, the living water, that we become a vine that, that, that produces much fruit. And so the idea is that when we abide in Christ, that we're able to bear much fruit. That when we stay faithful to God, even in the midst of the detours, then it leads to fruitfulness in our life. As a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to John chapter 15. I'm going to read it just real quick. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. He says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. But now he says in verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's what I want us to understand when we say this idea that faithfulness to God leads to fruitfulness in our life. When you are going through a detour and you remain faithful, you have the opportunity to grow and bear more fruit. Why? Because you are abiding in Christ that when you go through the detours, I rest assured on the confidence that God has called me, that God has equipped me, that God is taking me through this storm or this trial, this detour, in order to bear fruit in my life. But here's what's key. If you don't remain in Christ, in other words, you don't abide in Christ, you don't recognize him, you don't rely upon him, you don't remain faithful to him, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the reason why we don't like detours is this. Oftentimes detours lead us to a crisis of belief. And in a crisis of belief, we have two choices. To believe, to trust, to follow, to be obedient, to be faithful, or to walk away. To deny. To say, God, I got this on my own because you obviously don't care. And when you choose To not abide in God, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So every detour you go through apart from Christ is not going to bear the fruit that you're probably desiring to see bore in your life. It's not going to benefit you to go through these detours unless you do it as a result of being or abiding in Christ. I believe it is utmost importance for us to understand this. Why? Because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. But abiding in Christ, we can do or bear much fruit. So Joseph moved his life closer to God. He relied more upon God. His secret to his fruitfulness in his life was being faithful to God no matter what God led him into. And so the real story is this, that you and I, when we go through detours, we need to rely upon God, remain faithful to His calling. And trust that he has a bigger plan or a bigger purpose in store. Now, you may sit back and go, well, that's easier said than done. I get it. I get it. But I also want to draw your attention or remind you of this if God is God, then you're not. If God is God, then he's on the throne and you're not. If God is God, at least the God that we see in the Bible, he's omniscient, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's, he's got everything under control. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows the detour you're on. He knows the direction he's willing to take you, and you have to stay faithful to him and say, God, whatever that looks like, I will follow. And you may say, I don't like that. I get it. But I also get this. That all throughout scripture, when the people were faithfully following God, that God led them to fruitful journeys. Forty years of wandering in the wilderness is what most of us experience in our detour. Why? Because we aren't faithful. We haven't been obedient. We call into question God's love for us, God's provision. We doubt him. We're discouraged. When God says, listen, your detours, everybody goes through them. And I want to walk you into the promised land. I want to lead you into a life that's abundant, that's full of fruit and full of my mercy. That when you remain faithful and I remain faithful, we can walk in a fruitful life. So keep this in mind, faithfulness to God leads to fruitfulness in life. Number two is this, and we're going to jump into chapter fifty. Um, to begin to faithful to, to begin to to unpack just the end of this narrative that we see in, in this, but number two is this: that forgiveness is greater than fear, okay? Forgiveness is greater than fear. If you were to follow along, in, in Genesis chapter 50, it says that Joseph, after Joseph's da- dad died, Joseph threw himself upon his father, and he wept over him, and he kissed him. And then they go in. He embalms them, and they go on this journey, and they're going to journey back into Israel. They're going to journey back into a place that, that, that Jacob is going to be married. Buried. Did I say married? Buried. Sorry. He's not married. He's dead. All right? I know some of you think you're dead when you got married, but you're not. I mean, so anyways, he's going to be buried. <laughs> All right? Jacob is going back to Israel to be buried. All right? And in the midst of this burial, he's going to be buried next to Leah. Now, if you don't remember anything about the story, I want you to remember this, that Leah was not his first choice, was it? Rachel was his first choice, but his father-in-law tricked him. So he worked for Leah, got married, or worked for Rachel, sorry, got married to Leah because his father-in-law trained him, worked seven more years, gets Rachel, marries Rachel. Rachel dies. She's buried along the side of a road somewhere. But Leah, when she died, was buried next to where Abraham, as well as, um, sorry, uh, I'm I'm going brain dead here. Um, Abraham and uh, Isaac were buried. They were all buried in the same way. And here's the reason why. It's the fulfillment of the promise of what Was going to happen. If you were to look at 49, it says, He gave him instructions about his burial. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpele, near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought as a burial place. From Ephraim, the Hittite, along with the field. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. And so this is a fulfillment of the prophecy that God said, that I will make a great nation out of you. For Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob begin to step to the forefront of what's going on. Now Joseph acknowledges in chapter 50 that his dad is dead. He's weeping over it. And they're going to travel up to that area and they're going to bury Jacob. In the midst of that, though, is this. Jacob, or sorry, Joseph's brothers begin to question or doubt. They doubt Joseph's loyalty to him. They doubt Joseph's love toward him. They doubt Joseph's forgiveness of them. And they begin to plan or plot. Here's another plotting scheme that's going on. They begin to plan or plot how they're going to convince Joseph to forgive him. We're going to tell him that dad said he has to forgive us these are grown men. <laughs> like, like this isn't, dad said you got to forgive me when you're a kid. Like they're planning this out and they go to Joseph and they say to him, basically, here was the request of your father. Why? Because he respected his father. He loved his father. His father loved him. And so we come to this part where forgiveness is greater than fear. Listen to what happens in verse 15. We're going to read 15 through 21. And then I want you to notice this. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Joseph wept over the death of, his fa- death of his father. And when this message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, when I say this idea that forgiveness is greater than fear, I want you to understand what's taking place here. I don't think Joseph's brothers entirely understand everything that Joseph has just done. He brought him into Egypt, He's the second most powerful guy in the entire nation. He's provided for him. He's cared for him. He's led them to take on the best land in the nation of Egypt. Pharaoh's been there. But now the father dies. Now Jacob dies, and his brothers begin to doubt Joseph's intentions. That maybe Joseph is going to harm us. Maybe he has held a grudge, and now that dad's gone, he's going to dish it out. Now, I want you to think about this. Most of us, most of today's culture, I would oftentimes say, tends to go that way. Dad's gone, the wrath comes out. And what Joseph shows is forgiveness. Matter of fact, I draw your attention back to verse 17. It says, when the message came to him, Joseph what? Wept. Joseph's moved to compassion and mercy. And forgiveness is greater than fear is played out in this because Joseph wants them to know and he has sorrow in his heart because they don't understand what forgiveness means. I want you to understand how this plays out in our lives, how Jesus has forgiven us. Matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says this, In him, this is in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in according with the riches of God's grace. Do you realize that oftentimes when we go and we like, God, you got to forgive me, that oftentimes we're not understanding how much God has already forgiven, like how much God forgives you. The Bible is very clear that, it, that he is faithful and just, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of any and all unrighteousness. Why? Because forgiveness is greater than fear. And honestly, I believe that a lot of us are like the brothers, We think that God, in his judgment, is not really going to forgive us. That somewhere, God's keeping a scorecard. That reminder of all the sins that you and I bear. And what I want you to know is that's not the case. That when you confess your sins to God, when you confess, when you repent, when you return or or turn from your ways and you say, God, I'm turning all over to you, the Bible is very clear. As far as the east is from the west, your sins are forgiven. But you know what most of us are afraid of? We're afraid to actually acknowledge what God already knows. God knows your sin, doesn't He? Like, I brought this up in our class just recently, this morning, but like, you can hide everything. Like, I could hide lots of stuff. I could hide sins and struggles and impurities, unholiness, unrighteousness. And the truth is, you may not ever find out. But who does? Who knows? Who knows all things? who is before all things, who sees all things, who is all powerful and all knowing. God knows. And so I have to be realistic with myself because oftentimes we're afraid to go to God over our sins. But I want you to know this, that forgiveness is greater than fear. Why? Because when you sit there and go, man, I'm afraid that God's going to deal with me. God says, I've already dealt with you on the cross. My death is sufficient. Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient for your sins and for my sins, for the sins of everyone across the world. So why be afraid over what God already knows? Just let God know the truth. See, Joseph's brothers, after the death of Jacob, are fearful of Joseph and try to manipulate Joseph with the words of their father. And oftentimes, that's exactly, we're afraid of what God is going to do. And what I want you to see is this, that in the midst of the detour, Joseph says this, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Joseph acknowledges what his brothers are still failing to acknowledge. That even though you intended bad to harm me, that God worked things out. And I want to encourage you Christians with this, that there are going to be some who are in your life. It may be believers, it may be non-believers who are going to intend infliction and pain and suffering on your life. They're going to put you in situations and circumstances that you may not like. And I want you to know this. It's okay. Why? Because I want you to know what Joseph is preaching to his brothers, that you and I are not to be afraid. Why? Because we may be in the very place that God wants us, that what they intended to harm us, God intends for good. That's the promise we have to hold on to. Like we talk oftentimes about the end times things and things like that, but I want you to understand, if we understand and really believe Scripture, the end times are not going to be great. Believers are going to be persecuted. Real persecution, not American persecution. Like our idea of persecution is so weak, it's not even persecution. It's just somebody said a cross word. But true persecution is going to break out in the church when we're faithful to what God has called. And so listen, forgiveness is always greater than fear. And I want to remind you of that in this, because Jesus says this in Matthew chapter six, for if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. You see why I'm talking about how forgiveness is greater than fear? We are called to be people of forgiveness. That includes in every relationship in your life, in every form and fashion, that when I forgive others, I best represent Christ. Why? Because when I forgive others, I will be forgiven. If I don't forgive others, you're not going to be forgiven. And I don't want that for myself, and I don't believe you want that for yourself. So the question is then, how many times do I forgive? Like, think about this. How many years did Joseph had time to sit and stew and think and build a grudge? Let's put this into our perspective. For some of us, we would have been in that dungeon like, I'll get my revenge. You just wait, right? Simeon, I remember what you did. Brother, when I see you, I'm going to waylay the daylights out of you. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like every believer like, oh, yeah, that's right, right, yep. And Jesus is like, no, forgiveness. To the point where in Luke chapter 17, it says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. If they sin against you seven times a day and seven times come back saying, I repent, you must forgive them. When I offer forgiveness, I offer forgiveness Not for just everybody else, but for me. Why? Because when I forgive others, God's going to forgive me. So it's important for us to keep this in mind, that forgiveness is greater than fear. Some of us are so afraid of things that we're not willing to give forgiveness. Some of us are so afraid. Listen, you're so afraid that pride wells up within you that you're not willing to forgive. And forgiveness is greater than fear. And here's number three. If God's purpose is fulfilled when his people faithfully follow, I want us to see this, that my future and your future is in God's hands. We go right back to verse 20 and he says, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God. I, I love, like I, uh, we highlighted that on this. I want you to get this mindset in everything that goes on, but God, Right? but God. When I face a difficulty, it may seem overpowering, but guess what? But God's got all power. When I don't know the direction I'm going, but God. God does because God's leading me down this detour. When I'm dealing with the sins of other people and I say, I can't forgive, but God. God in my life is the one who can forgive. keep this in mind. My future is in God's hands. See, the, I, I, I saw this last night. At, we had dinner over at Joe and Maria's house, and they had this on the wall. But I want to remind you of this. The will of God will never take you where the grace of God will not protect you. When I look at the size of God and how God is working and how God moves and God is all-knowing, and God is all-powerful, he created all things, and yet he cares for me, he has concern for me, he has compassion for me, then I can begin to understand that my future is in God's hands, that as I walk faithfully, that God is gonna see great things come. Why? Because God intended something good to come out of something that was bad because others set out to harm you doesn't mean that God isn't gonna work things out for your good. The simple question is, do you trust him? Do you acknowledge him as God? His and brothers intended to harm him, but God. God is sovereign. God is powerful. God is all knowing that no matter what happens in my life, he holds everything. I'm not gonna turn away from God. If that stuff happens to me, I follow God no matter what the cost. No matter what the detour, no matter what the direction no matter what. Like, have you ever put yourself in this scenario? God, why did you allow me to be born in a country that's so free? To sit in a church that has no, really no outside threat for persecution. To grow, to be in the top 2% in the world in income. To have the freedoms we have, to celebrate and worship under that and not be born in some of the places I've been. I think of the disparity, the hurt, the anguish, the pain, the suffering, the poverty, the hatred. Could you imagine? I just want to put this kind of in perspective. We're in Kansas City, Missouri. Could you imagine if Kansas hated us? And they just broke through our state border, went into your homes, started slaughtering women and children, all because you're a different faith. Now you know what the people of Israel feel like who live around the Gaza Strip. Now you know what it's like for people who in Nigeria, go to church on a Sunday morning and are attacked by Muslim rebels who come in and slaughter the entire church or carry off the pastor and his family and try and leave the church without a leader. Right? Like Perspective is everything, but I want you to see this, that God is still God and God is in control. And I can't sit back and go, God, why why did why did you put me here and them over there? I can't tell you. But what I can tell you is this, that we're all called, no matter where we live, no matter how we grew up, no matter who's around us, to walk faithfully. And as we walk faithfully, God leads us into fruitfulness and forgiveness. That's the truth of the story of Joseph. That what man intended for evil, God intended for good. That where man saw Joseph's life coming to an end in slavery, God said, watch this. But God is going to turn everything around. And it may not be in your time and in your fashion and in your way, but listen, but God wants to turn around your life. So here's two questions I want to ask. Could it be that God is leading you into detours in order for you to tell people about the good news of Jesus? Or, could it be that your detour is God's way of showing you His love, His grace, and forgiveness, and you need to turn around and follow Him? Detours abound. Detours are oftentimes hated, they're inconvenient, they're uncomfortable... They take us off the path or the direction that we wanted. But God says, Listen, I make every detour, but God says, I make every detour accomplish a greater purpose. And you may not see it right now, but God does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope and the promise and the peace we can have, that God, in the midst of the detours, that you are walking right beside us, that when man intends things for evil, that God, you intended it for good, and that God, you can work in the detours that we go through, that you can strengthen us, you can build us up, that we will be fruitful when we remain faithful, that we remain in you, we abide in you, we let you do the work. And so God, I pray today, Maybe there are some today never have placed their faith and trust in Christ, and they just need to take that next step, to follow you. Or maybe there are others today who have walked through the detour, and they haven't remembered, but God. What man intended for evil, God intends for good, and you want to establish us, and you want to build us and you want to make us fruitful in the midst of our detours. God, may we be fruitful people. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.